What are you waiting for? Let's talk about procrastination. Now, everyone puts things off now and then, right? That's no great devastating character defect. Occasionally, you buy some time, certain delaying tactics that you use now and then. We all do it. It's fairly ordinary. Sometimes delays are useful. They're, they fall within normal operating parameters for putting things off. Like a lawyer making a motion for continuance in a court hearing, right? Perfectly reasonable. A delay for good cause. So there are useful delays in everyday life, too. But it depends on the reason. But there's also habitual delaying, chronically stalling, procrastination. And for that, there are deep metaphysical implications. There's no psychology to it. You can try to analyze it, you can reduce it to that, but you won't get to the real cause. And you won't solve it. Because it's spiritual. It's serious. It's really serious. It's every bit as serious as a habit with drugs or food or any obsessive behavior because it's indicative of something, something that's broken. That if it doesn't get fixed, you don't make it. But I do have good news. Problems with procrastination are very simple to conquer. They could be a little stubborn when a person doesn't really want to change. They really don't want to look at themselves in the light of reality. So it's not always easy, but it's very, very simple and quick too. Usually. Now, I talk about resentment a lot. Well, habitual or chronic procrastination has to do with resentment. It's the manifestation of a future resentfulness. Now, what do I mean by that? It's bitterness. It's conjured up. It's invented. It's invented in the mind. It comes through the thinking. It's a projection of a fantasy, some imagined undesirable outcome. It's not real. It's a what if. And it's very often a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get lost in your head and the things you fear inside there the most, they come true. Metaphysically. I don't mean like a run on a bank, right? Where people are afraid that the bank is going to shut down. So they all go running down and withdraw all their money. And then the bank does shut down. I don't mean that. I mean in a metaphysical sense. Remember Job from the Bible? Now there's the lesson. That was a spiritual phenomenon, believe me. For us, resentment, imagined, it triggers inaction, the locking up of progress, and that happens when we're overcome by it, overcome by fear. It's a lack of faith, it's doubt. It's resenting God, like Job had done. Right? He shook his fist at God, cursed him, cursed his will. And he went through a lot of suffering, didn't he? He came under a different will not God's will, mm -hmm. until he learned his lesson. So to fully understand this, let's look at the simple dynamics of fear and resentment. First, you have to know how fear arises. What is fear? Now, here's where it gets a little tricky because there are two kinds of fear that we can experience. There's one that isn't even ours, but is the absolute terror that our lower self, our ego, feels whenever it's presented with truth. It loves lies. And it trembles in fear at truth. And when you're united with that lower self, you feel what it feels. I'm not talking about that. Today I'm talking about the kind of dread that you're probably more used to talking about. I'm talking about emotion that prevents us from doing the things that need to get done. To execute, to accomplish things, to be a productive member of this world, to create, to work, to earn. Not only money but to deserve credibility, to earn that, to earn authority over our children, 
if you're in business, then with employees and customers, or if you work for someone, to your employer, to build a better environment for us and for others, to contribute to our well-being and to the good of all humanity. All the bright ideas that we have in our heads, we can't get them done until we do them. <laughs> we have to do them. This podcast, for example, you wouldn't even be hearing it right now if it just stayed in my head as a, some good idea and some drawing board. The other day I said, hey, you know what? I think I'll do a podcast about procrastination. What if it just stayed in my head? There's got to be execution. We have to risk things going wrong and then do it anyway. We have to be risk takers to succeed at anything. I'm going to make a cheesecake tonight. <laughs> a genuine New York cheesecake. Sugar-free, no carbs, believe it or not. But I'm from New York City, so. But it could go wrong. It's hard to make a good one. <laughs> so I fearlessly go ahead and make it anyway. There's fear, but we have to say, so what? And take chances. Fear is a name, right? It's just a label. We use it to identify a specific kind of negative energy. It's a resentment of a particular flavor. It's emotion, and we associate that with certain life events. Which ones? The ones that we project from an imaginary future, things that haven't even happened yet, as opposed to what we're experiencing in real time, what we're currently going through, real current events, moment to moment, different. And you could be tempted into it, and then let it go. Or it could overwhelm you if you don't let it go. Depends on whether or not you're prepared, if you're forewarned, if you're forgiving. Some fear is predicated on events that are more, shall we say, imminent than others. So let's say a vicious dog corners you. It's growling. It's threatening. Its fangs are bared. It's drooling. It wants to eat you. It wants to bite you. It hasn't bitten you yet. Right now you're okay. But you're full of fear. You're anticipating the injury, the bleeding, the pain that might or might not even happen. You might get out of there. Someone might save you. But your amygdala functions are calling, and that activates you and wants you to get the hell out of there, scream for help, or fight the dog. Good luck with that. The fact is that whatever you fear may happen hasn't actually happened yet. For now, no blood has been drawn. Maybe that's a little too dramatic. Okay, a little less dramatic. Let's say you're traumatized just by a barking dog. It startles you when you escape. No harm. You're not bitten. You're fine. But you're very upset. And then years later, rerunning the tape in your memory, in your imagination, you experience that same fight-flight physical phenomenon over again. You could become repelled by dogs. You could hate dogs for no good reason. Or you could become an obsessive dog lover. Maybe compelled to become a veterinarian or a kennel owner. Or you could have an unhealthy obsession with animals. Or it could be a person. A person who violates you, who betrays you somehow, physically, emotionally. A memory of that could be triggered by, say, a smell or the color of an article of clothing that they wore or the scent of an aftershave or a perfume or a food upsetting you all over again, making you react in ways that no one would normally. You could be strangely attracted to whatever reminds you of it, to whoever reminds you of that betrayal, whatever, whoever shocked you as if you could relive it and maybe get it right this time without resentment. You want to be good, but you can't. You have no idea how this works. Psychology has an inkling of this. They know something is happening, but they don't 
understand it. Not like this. It all stems from a metaphysical energy, resentment, anger, judgment. It spins like cotton candy out of the original shock. I have a very unique grasp on this. I want to tell you about it. And if I can, after once seeing it, you can also see how it's possible to become frozen in your tracks like, like a deer in the headlights when faced with the prospect of, of something uncertain, of an undesirable future. But it's just the idea. It's not real. Now this is odd. Just knowing that you might resent some imminent outcome can trigger a waiver of confidence. You could be presented with just the likelihood of feeling bitter about some imagined outcome. We can even resent now what we might resent later. You get that? I'll put it more simply. We resent the resentment. Even the possibility of a possible resentment. It gets ridiculous. What did FDR say? Fearing fear itself. That's not good either. No wonder he was such a bad president. And it happens. And it's debilitating. To fear the fear. What a conundrum. No, we can't fear fear. We have to become fearless altogether. When we lose faith, we do ridiculous things. You doubt your intuitiveness. You lose faith in your creator. If you didn't resent, you could never be fearful. You would never hesitate to process with courage toward whatever threatens to upset you. Whatever is upsetting you. You could never be frozen from fear. There wouldn't be any inappropriate delaying. There'd be no procrastination, no chronic fear. Here's what works. Next time you notice hesitancy, that anxiousness, say some reluctance to check the mail or take a phone call that might convey some unpleasant information, maybe a dunning notice or something, a bill collector. Observe the spirit of doubt inside, that little negative voice that speaks of doom. Just watch it. Watch it as it attempts to upset you and pull you away from the present. Using thoughts to do it. You want to get over procrastination? Develop immunity to resentment. That happens automatically just by becoming observant of thinking, of awareness, watching thoughts without emotionally falling into the stream of thought. Just watching them. That's it. That's all it takes. Then fear melts away. Procrastination is just no longer the obstacle to progress. You become courageous, humble, but brave. All men and women of faith are. I've been through procrastination myself, but I've also been through procrastination with my children, in, um, especially when they were in school. Well, they're still in school, but especially when they were in, in like high school. They're in colleges now. But when they were in uh, high school, trying to get work done, trying to schedule things and getting uh, assignments done and papers and, and things done. Sometimes they would put things off till the last minute. And then we rush to get things done. You can't do it right. Now, what, what causes them to do that? It's fear. As a matter of fact, uh, Dan, actually, uh, in your freshman year, we had an issue with you, right? With, uh, with putting off work and not getting it done out of fear and not, not being able to plan correctly. Didn't we have that? Yeah, we yeah. did. We did. You mean before I started using a planner? Right. A lot of people think that that living in the moment, living in the now, means you don't use a pl that you don't have to use a planner. Yeah. To schedule your, you have to schedule it. You yeah. Have to well, schedule your work. What happened was high school was fairly easy right. because assignments came day by day, due the next day, due the next day, due the next day. Yeah. And in college, you'd be assigned 
a paper that'd be due in like a month. Oh, right. And there was nothing to motivate you to do it. Right. I remember you were overwhelmed with fear in your freshman year one time. Do you remember you were having a hard time? And I, I got in the car and I came down and uh, we sat in the hotel lobby and we went over your... My planner. We did my planner. We did your That was planner. because I didn't know how to use a planner correctly. Right. For, like I said, for tasks that you're given a bunch at once. Right. And they're all due down the road. Right. And in high school, usually you're given a single task to do by the next day. And that's easy to do. Sure. You just have to keep track of things every, you know, day by day. Day by day. Whereas a planner, it's like, no, I have to work on this a week ahead of time. Right. Because next week I'm doing this and I won't have time for the thing that's due next week. That's right. And what happens is you get this nagging feeling that's, wait a minute, something's due. Will I have enough time for it? It's awful. It's awful. And you get struck with fear. And that fear, you you go into that fight flight thing, it drains your energy. You can't think. You can't think properly. And then what you, the thing that you fear comes true. So it's, it's really... In a way, it's fear of the unknown. Right. You don't know whether you have something due or not if you don't have a planner to check and say, oh, there isn't anything. Right. Now, you could have irrational fears. Uh, you know, fears come anyway for different reasons, but that definitely takes care of that aspect of it, which is I don't know what's going on in my life. That's something that, that produces fear. And if you, if you do know what's going on, you're less tempted to be fearful. I remember being in school and putting off a particular project or, or paper or something like that, yeah. or, or even studying for a particular exam. And I put it off, I put it off and put it off. In college or high school? In both. Yeah. And <laughs> Before you dropped out, you decided college isn't worth your time. Well, that's another whole story. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I, w- I would put things off. Now, you know that you put things off. And what happens is you start getting closer and closer to a deadline and you're wondering, oh my God, now I have all of these other assignments that I know that are important and I'm actually doing them and I'm busy doing them. I'm distracted, but I have this, wait a minute, what about that one? Is there still enough time to do it and to do it right and to get it done? Yeah. I don't know. So I'm getting fearful and fearful and fearful and, and more fearful. And then before long, I look, at a, I look at a calendar and say, oh my God, it's due 48 hours from now. Right. And I haven't done anything yet. Because I put it off. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're doing something and you don't know how long you have to do it right. or how long it's going to take to get done, mm-hmm. you're going to be fearful about it. Now, do you remember? It's easier if you just, if you know those things, you don't have to deal with the, the temptation to be fearful constantly coming at you for, for not knowing. Right. See, when in your academic career, you, you know things like months and months ahead of time. Yeah. What's due. So- a few months, yeah. A few months ahead of time. So when you're looking at it, do you remember the do you remember the sensation of actually sitting down, going through that planner, working it out, figuring out how many hours this is going to take, how many hours that's going to take, and then breaking it down over weeks and a couple of months and weeks, and then actually looking at it and realizing, oh my God, there is enough time in each day to get everything done. Right. It's a tremendous sense of relief. Right. But there are also times when you do that and you find out that there isn't enough time right. to get everything done and the you, way you want to do it. And that's why you don't plan in the first place, because you're afraid of that. You're afraid of that. But then you look and you say, okay, well, I can make a concession here. Yeah. I, make a, I can make a concession there. I'm going to skip this lecture. I'm going to skip right. this meeting. I'm going to skip, you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, I don't go to lectures. Well, actually, I do. But <laughs> I don't want to get into that right now. But uh, it could be skipping a day, skipping a, a, canceling a doctor's appointment and changing or, it to another day. Or, or saying no to lunch with your friends or something. Exactly, you know? exactly. But you don't know whether or not you can say yes, and that's, that's the problem. And I run into that with all my friends. Right. Constantly canceling and rescheduling last right. minute because a lot of them don't plan that way. And I can sense the fear from them 
they agree to things and then I'm like, hey, you ready? He's like, hey, uh, so about that, yeah, I yeah. really, mm, uh, mm. it's like, <laughs> come on, why? Uh, but I get it. So, or they oversleep. So, and, and the thing is, and scheduling definitely helps with procrastination, but I'll still procrastinate right. even with my schedule. Right. Then I'll be like, great, now I have to rewrite this, you know. Well, sure. Erase that, move it a day ahead. Right. I learned, I actually learned how to uh, plan properly for business. Uh, when I was, when I worked for, I used to work for New York Life. Some people know I, I was an insurance agent mm-hmm. uh, for, for a number of years. That was after I left Wall Street. And um, one of the things, I was really trained how to plan because you become so bogged down with work. There'd be so many people to see, so many appointments, so much business to write. You just wouldn't have enough time for it. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't get it all done. There's no way. And even when you plan, the idea is you don't plan. You plan enough, you fill your day. Something is going to go wrong. Yeah. And the key is not to resent it, right? but to carry it over into the next day. So if everything gets a carryover, and then you're happy. So even though I didn't get to do this today, oh, it's not, I know now, oh, I just moved it to Thursday. Yeah, your plan never, you never end up doing what's on your planner. Never. It's always different. It's always different. But That's- you keep track of everything you have to do. I tell you, it gives a lot of peace of mind. So, anyway, I, I don't know. Am I a procrastinator? Um, I feel like I have is, a tendency to, but everybody thinks they have a tendency to, right? I, everyone, everyone says, "Oh, I every, procrastinate so much." Everyone's capable of it. Yeah, I don't think that you're a, a, a terrible. I've seen worse. I think I was worse when I was your age. Think so? Yeah, I was. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a procrastinator now. Yeah, but I was. I, I was way worse than you. Even stuff with what we're doing. While I'm here over the summer, right, uh, doing all all the Schwarzoff media stuff that I'm I'm trying to do at once, and I look at it, it's very easy to resent myself, saying, "Damn, I I should have got that done, or why didn't I do that?" You know. Sure, so, sure. you mentioned that psychologists don't know what causes procrastination. Well, that's because they don't understand fear. Okay. Well, because they do say the forefront. Most research on procrastination okay. from psychology is that it's not a time management problem; it's an emotion regulation problem, and people are trying to manage in short term their fears and anxieties about things before trying to get the sense of accomplishment that comes with after comes after you complete something. Uh, yeah. So, but they don't know why you're fearful, why you're anxious. Right. I mean, they they do, but these are all superficial. You can keep asking why, but why, but why, but why? And they never get to the bottom. They can never get to the bottom of it because it is, it's not physiological. It has nothing to do with the functioning. Well, it has to do with the functionings of the brain. Yeah. Listen, a lot of the stuff that that psychologists have have, uh, uh, learned about the brain is is fabulous. I mean, it's really interesting, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't go to the causes. These are effects. Right. You know? They even say... uh, some really like physical stuff like your uh your what what is it called Amig- 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 Am- amygdala yes they say like oh your amygdala is is larger and has less of a connection <laughs> to this other part of your brain and people with that uh physical trait tend to procrastinate more right and and things like that um but that doesn't help anybody knowing that, you know. Not really. It doesn't help you overcome it, at least. So what? what so what are they saying? They're saying the, that section of your brain? You have a big amygdala. You have a big amygdala. This is according to a scan they did on, uh, a few psychologists did on, on 264 people. They found that procrastinators tend to have a larger amygdala, 
as well as a weaker connection between the amygdala and the DACC, which okay. is a, a, another part of your brain. Well, how do they know it's not just swollen? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the point is that they, they come to these conclusions that just beg for more questions and they never get to the bottom, you know? Right. Also, you mentioned uh, certain sights or sounds or smells. Right. Uh, trigger memories. Triggering that, that uh, right, triggering that fear or something, right. uh, which reminds me of PTSD. Oh, yeah, it's the same thing. Which I guess is, is, would be a severe case. Right, it's exactly the same thing. Right. So, Every, everyone's got PTSD to some extent. Yeah. Because everyone can be triggered to a memory, but a lot everyone of people- remembers something they, they're, that upsets them. Right, so, right, but some people have really, they've been shocked. Yeah. They've been shocked, and then they've been shocked into a resentment and shocked into uh, to hating somebody that shocked them or for whatever they did, whatever they've done. Right. That shock is so painful, it causes so much guilt that they repress it. I don't like to use the word repression that much, but that's really what it is. Why not? Well, because psychologists, they, they have so many words that they kind of claimed. And when I speak in those terms, people say I'm you know practicing psychology without a license. You won't be able to speak English after a while that's if right. you're too cautious. So. That's, that's exactly right. I was talking about, I was speaking to um, a person in a 12-step uh, program the other day, and he was very upset with me because I used the term obsession. Oh, yeah, and there's no obsession for alcohol in right. in uh, in uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book. They don't use the word obsession or no, something no. like that. Well, they right? use they use it once. They call it the great obsession, but that's a totally different, totally mm -hmm. different uh, perspective. Uh, there is no context for the word obsession, but it's a mental obsession. They call it an insanity. An obsession is insanity. It's a form of insanity. Yeah, you know, he really so, came at you gung ho. By <laughs> you remember that guy? Yeah. He can't. He. Facebook message, comment, YouTube comment, any yeah. way to try and, and uh, attack you, basically. I know, I know. Well, like he's he's the savior of, of this of this. Uh, no, I'm sorry, recovery I do, group. I do whatever. speak. Well, the thing is, I'm addressing something that he's very concerned with. He's very he's he's obviously a recovered alcoholic or, yeah. or a recovering alcoholic. I don't know what he calls himself. Yeah. Well, hopefully, he's recovered. And um, he hmm. resents me using the word obsessed obsession because he associates that with psychology. Okay. So he f assumes that I uh, am a proponent of the psychological approach. Yeah. To I think you're like a new age. Yeah, something like guy. that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, I think he. Pro I think he probably meant well, really. Right. And that's the thing when we talk about mindfulness or consciousness, it's so different from what new age yoga. I know. See, that's stuff is doing. Stolen all those People words. People hear that and they think, "Oh, he's one of those guys." Yeah. And you're not. It's like the opposite. It's basically the opposite, really. It's, it's mindful. I like the, I see, I actually like the word mindful, but it depends on what your mind is full of. <laughs> you know, what most of the mindful, uh, people talk about is basically they're talking about Buddhism. Yeah. It's basically to, to, they want to convert you into a boot, into being a Buddhist. Right. Or Hindu or one of those, uh, uh, non-duality movements or spiritual religions or, or philosophies is what it is. Yeah. You know? And they want to convert you into that. So they talk about mindfulness. So what they do is they, they teach you how to void your mind and then they fill it with their stuff. They fill it with their with Which suggestions. Which is not true, really. Which is not true, right. They fill it. I mean, the idea is that you're one with the universe. You're all from the same energy. You're all part of, basically everybody's a part of God. We're all one. Yeah, non-duality, right? We're all the same. We're all, we're all, you, the rocks, the fire, the water, the earth, this desk, this laptop computer, you, me, we're all one. Even God 
Roll one. So that means we're part. I'm going to take that out as just a sound clip and post that out of context separately. Okay. Oh, why? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. (laughs) Here's a sample of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, check it out. I see what you did. Yeah. No, don't do that, please. I'll, I'll post that on the New Age site. Say, hey, check out this podcast. Do you know how many listeners I have? I know how to talk like that. I yes. Can, I can talk like I can give all that gobbledygook. Yeah, I know. And, I, and people will be turned on by it. Yep. It's very seductive. You have to get close to the mic. Hello. Hello. I can do that. What's, what do they call that? Oh, ASMR? ASMR. Please do not do ASMR. No, don't even do it. I have, I have headphones on. I don't want to hear it. Please. Close your eyes. Okay. <laughs> um... That is, oh, I hate a- ASMR. Yeah, it's very- It's gross. It's disgusting. People are like, ooh, AS, it gives me tingles. Tingles, I know. I, get, ooh, I don't want, first of all, I don't want your tingles. I can explain that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that now. Okay. I don't, I don't want to do that in this broadcast. Okay. In this podcast. Something but. creepy, I don't know. It has- Oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's some, some, oh. you have some Freudian issues if you're getting tingles from that oh, stuff. Oh, <laughs> it is, it is, it, it's something else. It's something else. And you also mentioned Job. I wanted to talk about Job. I like Job. You like Job or you don't like Job? No, I like Job. You like Job? I like the story of Job. Yeah, I like Job. How well, can you not like Job? Because here's guy. the thing. What you said This seems... poor bugger was covered with, uh, what? He was covered with uh, uh, sores. Okay. A sore-covered oh. bugger? <laughs> I'll, rest- I'll restate that. That poor bugger was covered from head to toe with sores. I'm probably going to just leave in what you said. Anyway, um, okay. But most, I think most Christians or, or at least Catholics, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not sure, have a different understanding of Job. Yeah. Um, I want you to explain what you think because mo- most people read it as a testament to uh, having faith in God. Job was completely faithful even when things went wrong and right. that's why he ended up having a good life afterward. Well, what happened was the story starts off with God and the devil and Satan, yeah, having a you know making a bet, right? <laughs> right, basically, <laughs> kind of weird. Sounds like a, a Twilight Zone episode. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great story. Actually, that would be make a good Twilight Zone. Well, episode. I don't want to go into go the whole Joe. It's a pretty long story, actually. Yeah, because there are a lot of people involved. A lot of people involved. A lot of names. And uh, when you read the problem with read, I remember reading that years ago. And the problem with reading a lot of the a lot of that Old Testament stuff is that you read it and you don't you lose sight of what perspective it is you lose sight of the context you lose sight of who's speaking to who yeah so even in the new testament a lot of people will hear uh, will take the words of jesus and he's speaking to someone and giving him some advice that's particular to him the person he's speaking to the person he's speaking to and, and just it, take it as as a truth yeah as a, as a general principle to follow yeah he's he's talking right? to me yeah yeah you know so i know the example we were just talking about this the other the other week right is um the rich man the rich man yeah right Said you have to get rid of all your possessions. Yeah, get rid of all your possessions and follow me. I mean, everybody has to walk around, you know, naked and barefoot. Right, but <laughs> right. that's but that's what they do. They they read into it. And they, oh yeah, he's talking to me. That's if you're ambitiously wealthy, right? That's an issue, right? But somebody can. But there were plenty of very great men in the Bible who were wealthy. Of course, and Jesus didn't rebuke them. No, of course not. Of course not. So it's ridiculous. But going back to Job, remind me what what I was saying. Uh, I was asking you for your. If your interpretation is oh, different, because yeah. most most people see him as an example of, oh yeah, of having extreme faith in God and why through all situations. Right. Well, the problem is that he didn't start out that way. Mm, yeah, he, he didn't start. He he shook his fist at God. Right. He cursed God. I don't first. know if he cursed, but he cursed. He cursed a lot of stuff. He was upset with himself. He cursed the day he was born. He right. wished he was never born. That's right. Um, but I think people read it as 
he came close to cursing God, but didn't, and that's why he was saved at the end, or something no, like that. No, he did. Okay. He did. I, you know what? I love speaking about Job, and yeah. I love, I've, I've written about him in the past. Um, we should do a podcast on it. On Job? Yeah, I would like, but I would like to read the whole story. Okay. Again. I haven't read it in years. We'll do a Job cast. A Job, a Job cast. <laughs> okay. But the, the point I think you're getting to is that uh, Job was not very faithful at first. Job was not faithful at first? No, he was not. He, he had no faith at first. Okay. He was cursing God. He was resentful. He resented what was, what was brought upon him. He was resentful. Yeah. So He resented it. Yeah. But he, he, he turned out okay in the end. Yeah. You know, but he had to go through a lot of stuff. Right. I, I don't think, I think it's a little more than uh, somebody who showed steadfast faith in God. Right. It shows what, ha it shows both sides is what it does. Yeah. And because a lot even of people skip that. He was able to get through his resentment, but he had it at first. It right. was there. Right. I mean, there, there are long paragraphs about him cursing the day he was born and loathing himself and, you, and the you, world. And you know, we need, we need the Bible go-to guy from, uh. The Jesse Lee Peterson broadcast. Yeah, we that do need cool. a Bible go-to guy. Yeah, I'm not good with. I'm not that good with the Bible. I am really. No, we do need a Bible go-to guy because I am terrible with scripture quotes, remembering passages. Yeah, the order of events. Because honestly, I, it's not that necessary. No, no, you shouldn't be getting your your lessons out of the Bible. You no. should be getting your lessons internally through intuition. There's an internal guidance guidance system that you, that you develop. Well, through, through a connection with God. There's an internal guidance system that you get when you, when you become conscious. What become, we, we're androids? Yeah, well, kind of. You, yeah. you become programmed. It's a program. Yeah, right. And you get programmed by the world or you get programmed by, from the heavens through intuition and with a, what I, I like to call God's discipline, but his mm -hmm. will. Yeah. And it projects through you on earth as it is in heaven within you, if indeed heaven is within you. I like reading biblical stories to augment, to almost reaffirm or, or show me, oh, yes, this book makes sense because right. I, I know this to be true and I see it demonstrated in this passage. Right. Unless reading into things to try and figure out what they mean. Right. But the mistake that a lot of people make with the Bible is they use the Bible uh, <clears throat> as a source of guidance, as a source of information. And it's not a good source of information. Right. It's supposed to testify to information that's already within you right in story form and then you'll know what it means there's not enough there for it to be a full amount of information absolutely not i mean it's it's we are we already talk about how english or any language any written human language does not do justice to no the ten commandments to, are to, like to actual moral principles and and what's right and what's wrong it's something you need to know and then you can articulate it as best as you can but if you don't know it you can't learn it from from reading a passage. No, but that's a mistake that a lot of people make. They have stores of information about uh, these little, you know, morality plays stored in their heads, and they think that if they emulate that, good things will happen to them. Yeah. That's not good. Right. That's not the way to be. You can't act a certain way so that good things happen to you. You have to become, you have to be filled with goodness, because no man is good, right? Only God is good. So you can be filled with his goodness, and then, well, it turns out that good things happen. Mm-hmm. And bad things happen, but you survive them. Right. Otherwise, you don't survive them. Right. Because you get resentful. And once you get resentful, all bets are off. Your, 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 everything from your brain to your body to your children's brains and bodies are affected. You know, so, uh, did we have any questions today? We do not.
We do not have a question today. No questions. Hey, you people better send some questions. Yeah, what's with not sending questions? Come on. Oh, it's okay. Shoresoftmedia.com slash podcast. There's a question form there. Right. You, you don't have to leave your real name if you don't want. But one sentence question, one paragraph, whatever you feel like, and just hit send. Right. And you know what? I think we will do a Job broadcast. Podcast. Podcast. Jobcast. Yes. We're going to do a Jobcast in the near future. Okay. Because it's such a great story. Okay. Because everyone suffers, everyone has problems, and everyone um, needs to reconnect with God like yeah. Job did. And everyone is offered the opportunity as Job was. You know, so it's a very good story. I like it a lot. All right, so that's it for today. This is episode number 14. Yes. Join us again next time, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.